2, Genesis 41. I really have been swimming in this lately in a good way. Such great stuff. And we are going to read most of chapter 41. We read both chapters last week, or most of it, so we're only going to read we'll start with verse 9. And we'll read for now to verse 40. I'll refer to the other verses. I'll just quote them if I need to. How's that? So let me give you the context. Pharaoh has these dreams. Remember, seven cows that were healthy, and then the seven gaunt, ugly cows. Ugly cows swallow up the, the uh, fat cows. And then he has the same dream with the heads of grain, the beautiful heads of grain. And then there's the seven ugly heads of grain. They're scorched, and they swallow up the other ones, and he's all confused. He doesn't know what they mean. That's where we'll pick it up. So let's stand together for the reading of God's holy, inerrant word. Hear God's word to you this morning. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream I was standing on the bank of the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even afterward, after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dreams, I also saw heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but none could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It's one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterwards are seven years. And so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. 
Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. Now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to, to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Amen. Mm -mm -mm. You know... <laughs> Especially when I, when I hang out with college students, I recognize this. I'm getting old. I once was young too. I know that's hard to believe, but now I'm getting old. Now, the, the, one of the big signs in my life lately that has really shown me that I am definitely getting older is that it seems like more and more the advice I'm giving people around me is this. Wait. Have patience. It's not time yet. <laughs> I'm not the one that someone's telling me that. Now I'm the one beginning to, to, to tell other folks, wait for God's perfect time. He'll make it clear, and then you could th give yourself to it fully. And normally, I get this kind of kickback. I mean, it's a very normal thing. So I'm not complaining. I'm just stating a fact. Normally, I, I get this. When? When's it going to happen? You've been telling me this for a long time. Either you've been telling me this for weeks, you've been telling me this for some, for some people, you've been telling me this for years and everything's still the same. I'm sick of waiting. Ever feel like that or ever hear that? Well, now, this is where I'm going to hear some groans. And thank, thankfully, there's only a few of you, so I won't hear as many groans as normal. But it kind of reminds me of Daniel LaRusso when he was study, studying under Mr. Miyagi to learn karate. Because listen, no, I got to tell that this is like the perfect illustration. So, you know, Daniel Russo, Italian kid from Newark, he, he uh, comes, he moves, his family moves to um, California and he gets bullied by these karate students. I mean, they really work him over. And he's getting beat up left and right. He's always, and, and he meets Mr. Miyagi, this great mentor uh, from Okinawa, beautiful, um, two uh, cross-cultural thing going on there, which is really, really nice. And um, so Miyagi agrees he's going to teach Daniel's son karate, how to defend himself. And he says, look, we're going to make a sacred pact. Here's the pact. I say, you do. No question. We got a deal? 
<laughs> and Daniel Russo says, yeah, we got a deal. So first day of karate, we read, some of us have watched the movie. We know what happens. He's ready to start his training. He goes, okay, see all these cars? Wash them, and then I want you to wax them. And you know the whole wax on, wax off. And he keeps teaching him this. Thing. So he does it all day until the night, and he's done, and he's getting ready. He's like, all right, he's getting ready for his training. And Miyagi goes, come back tomorrow. And Danielson's like, okay. He comes back the next day, and this time Miyagi's over by his deck, and he tells him what? No, sand the floor. So now he's like, well, wouldn't it be easy if I just sand it this way, back and forth? He goes, no, 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 no. For you, sand on, make that motion, sand off, sand the floor. So he does the whole deck, takes him all night. Again, he's waiting for training. Miyagi says, see you tomorrow. Now, now comes Allison. He's like ready. He's got the bandana thing around his head. He's ready to do some real good karate training. And Miyagi says, paint the fence. And he gives him the motion. It's got to go up a certain way with his wrist and then down a certain way with his wrist, right? And so Dan's son's getting a little annoyed, and it's, it's getting late at night, and he turns and goes, oh, Mr. Miyagi, man, I'm so sore. I'm done. And then Mr. Miyagi says, the other side of the fence, both sides? And Danielson has that look on his face. He goes, not yet. He goes, go ahead. So last time he comes, he comes home, and he goes to Miyagi's house, and Miyagi's not even there. There's just a note on the house, and it says, paint the house. And he is not happy. Kicks the can, but he hangs in, so he paints the house. And then Mr. Miyagi comes home while he's in the middle of it. He's all sore, his shoulder's killing him. And he goes, hey, why didn't you tell me you were going fishing? He's like, you weren't here when I, when I went fishing. He goes, well, do you ever think maybe I wanted to come? And he goes, yeah, but you're, you're, you're uh, karate training. And so, so Danielson says, karate training, baloney. I've been being your slave. That's what I've been. But I love it. This is where I, I'll never forget what um, Miyagi says. He says, not everything is as seems. It's an important line in the film, but it's an important part uh, um, line for what we're going to see in Joseph's life as well. Because, of course, Daniel says, oh, forget about it. I'm going home. And then that's that big climax in the movie where he goes, up, up, up. Daniel's son, come here. And then he goes, show me. Wax the car. Remember this? Show me. Paint the fence. And he throws his fists at him. And all of a sudden, miraculously, Daniel's son's doing karate, blocking the kicks, blocking the... And then he's amazed because he didn't realize he knew karate. And then they bow. And then what does Miyagi say? Come back tomorrow. <laughs> so I know that's Hollywood, and I know it can get corny, but to be honest, uh, there's a lot of truth there in that when God is working in our lives and in our circumstances, we have to remember that truth that not everything is as seems. We don't always feel like the, the things that we're doing, the circumstances we are in, are God's training ground for his calling on our lives. Sometimes they seem mundane. Sometimes they seem the very opposite of what we think he would be doing to disciple us. Certainly, I want to bring this up because I think this is where you'll see how poignant, poignant it is in Joseph's life. Think about this. I think timing, which is interesting, by the way, in, in th this section of Genesis, it gives us some good time markers so we realize how long things take. So for, for Joseph, he was 11 years in Egypt, if you remember, 
when, when, the, when the chief baker and the chief cupbearer finally came into the prison and he met them and he interpreted their dreams, he had been in Egypt for 11 years. That's longer than I've been here in Atlantic City, by the way, to give you a little idea of how long that is. And so finally, his window of opportunity, yes, I'm going to get the heck out of here. Um, he, they're going to go, um, the, the cupbearer is going to tell Pharaoh about me, and I'm going to be able to go free. But we, and, and not only that, in three days. Because Joseph knew that in three days, the cupbearer was going to be free. He thought he would go tell Pharaoh, and he'd be free. Well, here's the problem. Three days turned into what? Three weeks. Three weeks turned into three months. Three months turned into two years. Two years. That's a long time to be in prison unjustly. Look, what, another thing I love about this, Joseph's actually one of those people that didn't belong in jail. You know how everybody in jail, nobody ever did it? You know what I'm saying? He's one of the very few percentage, and there are some, who didn't do it. And yet he's paying, the, paying for crime he didn't commit. So you can imagine him thinking, yeah, these dreams of my family bowing down to me. Uh, right now, all I'm doing is bowing down to serve others. Ever think of that? But as we saw last week, there was a lot more going on than Joseph could ever imagine at that point in his life. All of his time moving up the ranks in Potiphar's house, listen, he was gaining vital experience on managing a big household. Did you ever think about that? He didn't know that's what he was gaining. And then when he's thrown into the dungeon, what happens? He becomes the manager there, so he gets great experience on how to manage a whole prison house, which I'm sure was not very easy. And yet, remember what I, I was mentioning to Pete earlier, he did it so well that it says the people that were over him were like, when they gave him the job, they went home and watched the football game, so to speak. Because they knew if Joseph had, was, was taking care of it, it's going to get done. That's how much confidence they had in this Hebrew slave, when you think about it. So we know, as we're reading the text now, we read further on in the story, there's a reason that the cupbearer didn't rem remember Joseph right away. It's because, listen, it wasn't God's perfect time. You think about it. If he would have remembered him, maybe he would have told uh, Pharaoh, and then Pharaoh would have just let him go. So what? End of story. But we know this story isn't about Joseph. It's about God and his people and about his desire to save a people for himself out of all every tribe, tongue, and nation that would specifically belong to him and temporally to bless the whole world as we're going to see through them. Because Pharaoh was um, Egypt was spared because of this young man and the position God put him in. And here's the interesting thing I want, want you to see. This all took such a long time. But when God gets ready, guess what? You got to move. Because as soon as this, this happens, when, when the time is right, what does it say? Immediately Pharaoh calls for him. Immediately he shaves, changes his clothes, and he all, within a matter of a very short amount of time, he is standing face to face with the greatest known king in the world of the greatest nation at the time, Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Here he was in prison a few minutes ago, as it were, and now he's staring at the king. I think that's powerful. So here's the thing. 
a lot, there's a lot to be said about being at the right place at the right time. Can I get an amen? amen? But here's something more important. Being the right person. So that when you're at the right place at the right time, you'll be able to do the will of God. And now we, now, now we have that big, I did anyway, studying it. Aha! That's what those 13 years or so was all about. It was preparing Joseph so that when he did see Pharaoh eye to eye, he would be ready to take on this incredible task that God had prepared for him. God is about to exalt him. Like you, you would never, like very few people in the world have been exalted in this, on this side of glory. And we need to see that. So Joseph, God was preparing Joseph to be the right man for the job. When the time came. Now, last week's sermon was all about that. So that was like the whole sermon was about God's preparation for. And I, I actually put it online. So by all means, take advantage of that and listen to that. But what I want to show you here, which I think is so powerful, is in this text we see how last week we saw um, the preparation of the prime minister, to coin a phrase. This week we're going to see how God moved Joseph from prisoner to prime minister. That's what we're going to focus on. And we're going to see that wonderful um, verse from 1 Samuel that we read earlier in the service. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. It's a powerful message. And it's something good for us to remember. So what I want you to see, though, this morning is this. God's chosen servant is prepared. He's promoted. And I couldn't find a P, so I just said, and he's consoled. <laughs> couldn't find a P for that one. That's okay. He's... Uh, Prepared, promoted, and consoled. And we'll just spend a few moments on each, and they're all powerful points. So, like I said last week, we spent our lion's share of our time on that first point, so I'm only going to make a couple points from that point. But God's chosen servant is prepared. So now what I want you to see, it's really important. Remember when we started reading the story of Joseph? That Joseph was Jacob's favorite. You remember that? He had the coat of many colors. There was all the jealousy among the brothers. But what we see now as we've been reading the text, Joseph is actually the favored one of who? Of God. I think that's important to see. Because I really believe, as we'll see, it works, the story works itself out. The brothers weren't just despising Joseph. They were despising God and his chosen one. Sound familiar? Throughout the history of Time, God's chosen ones are always persecuted. They are always rejected. And they always have to suffer. And, and most of the time, they suffer from the very people they came to help and save. And we see it. And why do I bring this up now? Because this is the very first book of the Bible. This is the very beginning, and it's already happening. We need to see this. It's not just a New Testament thing or something new. What's interesting, I think we need to see, and it's, I take this personal, I hope you do too. Now, humanly speaking, Jacob spoiled Joseph. I think we could see that, can't we? I don't think there's too much argument there. But here's the beautiful thing about God and his children. God never spoils his children. Brothers and sisters, for our own good, he disciplines us. 
He brings us up in the school of affliction and trials and suffering and puts obstacles so that we will grow strong in the Lord. And we will be able to take our stand when the day of evil comes. God doesn't pamper us. And he doesn't do that, not because he doesn't enjoy, because he's a, a, what do you call it, a joy kill or a buzz kill. It's because he loves us and wants us to be the best that we can be, namely, become more and more like his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And I want you to see something. We're going to fast forward a bit for a moment here to chapter 41, verses 50 to 52. And I want you to see Joseph's own comments about how he, about his experience about his, in his time, of his time in Egypt. Listen to what he says in 4150. Before the years of famine came, it says, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. Now listen, Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. You see that? But then look at the next verse. The second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful, where? In the land of my suffering. So I want you to see that because it's important to see. It's not Pastor Santo who's been saying that Joseph has been suffering. Joseph himself categorizes his whole time in Egypt up to this point as what? Suffering. Time of pain, time of affliction. And you know, it's really interesting. Where does a lot of this pain come from? Family. Hello? Twofold. It's the persecution he experienced from those who should have cared for him and loved him and knew him most of all. But it's also the loved ones that he's been separated from. His father and his brother, his brother who has the same dad and mom. So 14 years he has not seen his younger brother. That's a long time. And they were really, really close. It was like his best friend, remember. And I think that, so right at the first book of the Bible, what I want you to see, and this is super important, is that there is a pattern that goes throughout the rest of the Bible as well. And it's this, first the cross, and then the crown. Do you know that? It's the way of the kingdom, and the way of the kingdom of God is the opposite of the way of the kingdom of men. The way up is down. The way to be the greatest is to be the greatest servant of all. And what's really interesting, and I think I really want to point this out to you, is that, you remember... Joseph rose up in Potiphar's house, and then he got cast down. He rose up in the uh, prison, and then he got cast down. And then what happened? So those two times were what? Dress rehearsals for the real thing. Now, don't get me wrong. The dressing rehearsals were real enough. They weren't like fake Hollywood dress. These were like life dress rehearsals. But it all gets back to 4140 when Pharaoh says, you will be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. 
So think about it. Joseph's sufferings were preparing him to be, for all practical purposes, the prime minister of Egypt. Now, I do want to point this out, and that's this. I wonder, because I'm not a prophet, I'm a preacher, and there's a big difference. But I wonder what your afflictions are preparing you for. I wonder what God has in store for you, but I can promise you this, no matter what it is, it's something good. And I don't mean that in a worldly sense. I mean that in a biblical, godly, eternal sense. Because you know what's interesting? Joseph is a type of Christ, as we could see. We see humiliation, we see suffering, and then we see exaltation. Sound familiar? But in the New Testament... Although in this life we may or may not be exalted before others, because some of us are in different contexts, the New Testament's emphasis is when will the people of God be exalted? After the resurrection. When Jesus comes back. When Jesus comes back, there's a wonderful verse in 2 Timothy, I believe. So We'll be dealing with that somewhat um, at Stockton when we go through the book. And the Apostle Paul says this. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Now, I'm sorry. Remember I told you about my silly sounds? But all I know is when I read that, all I could do is go. <laughs> Think about it. I mean, this isn't some crazy, crazy uh, um heretical teacher, this is the Apostle Paul telling us we will reign with Jesus. If what? If we endure and we suffer with him. So the point, point of that is the Christian life is all about dying, isn't it? It's all about dying to self and living to God. It's all about enduring suffering because we belong to Jesus. But we know, just as sure as Joseph ended up being exalted, and then we see later he's riding through Egypt and they're bowing down to him. There will come a day when God will lift us up to, the, to an exalted position so that we will reign with Christ. And you know what? It'll all be worth it. For Paul says these light and momentarily afflictions do what? They don't compare to the glory that will be revealed. On the day of Christ Jesus. Whoop! No, we're not Joseph. And no, we are not the deliverer, that's for sure. Even Joseph, you're going to see, acknowledge that. But I'll tell you this, we are the body of Christ. And as Paul says in Ephesians 4, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as what? As each part does its work. Each one of us in the body of Christ has work in the kingdom. And in this case, it doesn't end there for Joseph even. The time has come not just for his own personal deliverance, but for him to serve the purpose in the world for which he was made. To rule over Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. Look at the second thing I want to point out. God's church chosen servant is promoted. Now we read the story. We see the training that God put Joseph through wasn't in vain. When the time comes, by God's grace, he's up for it. And 
I just want to point out a few things um, about this. And the, the first thing is, what I want you to see, it's really important. The time has come. He's before Pharaoh. Now's the hour of his deliverance is at hand. Pharaoh says, I heard that you interpret dreams. And what's the first thing Joseph says? It ain't me. And, and in the Hebrew, it just says, it's not in me. In other words, Pharaoh, I want to make something real clear. You're, clear. You're looking in the wrong place. Because what he points out later, if you notice, God gave you these dreams. And God will give the interpretation. And in the text, it actually says God will give you an interpretation of peace. That's the literal Hebrew is shalom. Not a favor. It says God will give you a favorable. Uh, that's a translation, but it's not what it says. He will give you an answer of peace. So, you know, I remember in the New Testament there was somebody who did that. The last Old Testament prophet, as it were. You remember what his name is? John the Baptizer. And they kept saying, are you the Christ? Are you the Christ? And his answer? I can only make you wet. I baptize you with water. But somebody is coming whose thong of whose sandal I'm not even worthy to untie. And he will baptize you with spirit and with fire. And you remember what else Joseph said? I must become less. He must become greater. In Joseph's moment of glory, he says, don't give me the glory. The glory belongs to the God of heaven and earth. The Hebrew God, by the way. And you've got to understand, I'm sorry, but that's gutsy, to go to the king of Egypt who believes in many gods, the sun god, the this god, the fertility, and to say, my God will give you the answer. You know, the Hebrews you despise later in the text, it says Egyptians think it's just detestable to eat with um, Israelites, by the way, Hebrews. He says, well, my God will give you the interpretation, as it were. What's interesting, too, is, and I, think I don't want you to miss this either, is that um, Pharaoh takes Joseph's cue. In other words, um, Joseph is already affecting and being light and salt to Pharaoh. And I want you to see this. Um, where is he saying Oh, here it is, where he says this. Since God has made all of this known to you. <laughs> so what is he acknowledging? He's acknowledging exactly what um, Joseph said. God gave you this knowledge. There is no one so as discerning and as wise as you. So what Pharaoh is doing is he's giving God the glory. He's saying the reason you're the wisest one in the land is because God gave you the wisdom. Now we see, now I don't know about you, but those, I, would, I would gladly wait two more years so that the whole land, the king of, of Egypt, would be able to give glory to God. That's a life well lived. That's a purpose that I've always longed for in Christ Jesus. And I hope you have too, if you know him. And then we have this wonderful 
these verses in 41. I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as a second in command. And men shouted before him, make way. In the literal Hebrew, bow down. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Two little notes, and then we'll jump to our last point. What, what did the dream say? Joseph's original dreams? That his family would all bow down to him? Well, now we got practice going on because the whole kingdom of Egypt is bowing down to who? This Hebrew slave. <laughs> it's awesome. Irony. But the second thing, and I think the text, it's in the text, so I'm not making this up. You remember what set Joseph apart when he was a young 17-year-old? It was a richly ornamented coat. Some translations, coat of many colors. Well, notice, what does he get dressed in here? He's dressed in robes of fine linen with a gold chain around his neck and the signet ring of Pharaoh himself. So after all this, God says, I said put a robe on him. He's going to wear a robe. <laughs> Sign of his exaltation. And I think it's interesting in the text, it talks about how he rode in the, the chariot, the second chariot. So can you imagine he's been in prison for years and to be riding in this chariot and feeling the breeze on your face, wear this beautiful robe, people bowing down to you, you'd be pinching yourself. Come on. But you know what's awesome? I quoted that verse from Paul in Romans where it says, the suffering, the light and momentary afflictions we have now are not worthy to be compared for what God has in store for those who suffer with Jesus. That's what it's going to be like, brothers and sisters. We are going to be pinching each other. Like, can you, I'm going to be seeing you in glory, Nicole. I'm going to go, can you believe this? Can you, no, can you believe this? This is like way better than we thought it was going to be. I'm just saying. All right, for time's sake, I'm going to jump to the third thing. And that is God's chosen servant is consoled and made fruitful. And what you need to see here, just for a couple moments as we close, the verses we quoted earlier, that God gives him two sons, right? And with the first son, he says, God is consoling me helping me to forget because the name of the son was forgetful or to forget uh, my, my, my family all the times in my uh, family's house. And then the second one, as we saw, was Ephraim, which means to be fruitful. And he says, and God has made me fruitful in the place of my suffering. Oh, that could preach. That could preach in and of itself. But I, I will refrain a little bit and just tell you this. In the place of his suffering, God raised him to this, this point. And I think now you're getting to see the picture. If we were to read on the text, you would find that the days of plenty do come. And it says in the text, there's so much grain, it's like the sand in the seashore. Do you remember that? And it says that, that then, then when the famine came, all this grain was stored up so that the Egyptians started coming to buy the grain during the time of famine. And then we see the text is teeing up what's going to happen then. The other nations are going to come to Egypt 
so that they can live and not die and buy grain from the Egyptians. You follow me? So what do we see here? We see the other nations. We see that God, as he promised Abraham, that all nations would be blessed through him. We already see the beginning of, beginnings of that happening. That it's through God's anointed who is going to deliver not only his people, but be a blessing to the world. And I want to close with this because I think it's powerful. You can't help but see the parallel between Joseph and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And there's some differences as well as parallel. We see Joseph was taken by force to be a slave. But what did our Lord do? He left willingly. He knew where he was going. He was going from the most beautiful place that ever existed to the most messed up place and to humility and to dying. But he did it willingly. Just as Joseph was rejected by his own family, it says about Jesus that he came to his own and his own what? Received him not. Joseph suffered unjustly. Jesus suffered unjustly. But here's another difference. Jesus wasn't spared from death. The way to his exaltation was through death. There's a difference. And as Joseph was exalted, Jesus was exalted to the highest place, right? The name above all names that, listen, that to, to him what? Every knee shall bow. Interesting. But here's what I really want to close, close with, and that's this. Joseph was able to give physical food so people wouldn't die physically. What did Jesus say he was? Who did he say he was? He said, I am the bread of life for the world. I give my body. My, my body is the bread. And I give it for what? The life of the world. And brothers and sisters, we feast, as it were, on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's through his body and his blood that we are nourished spiritually, both unto salvation and then we have that symbol and sign of the Lord's Supper that reminds us of that regularly. But we have the bread from heaven in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we, like Joseph, are to tell the world that they don't have to perish, that there is a Savior. And I'm sorry, and, and I'm, I'm not sorry. You know, I'm sorry, but I ain't sorry. But it ain't Buddha. It's not Muhammad. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to him if you haven't yet. And if you have, you should be busting at the seams to tell everybody that you know where bread is. As one beggar to another beggar, I found bread, and it's in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you. There's so much more in this beautiful story that you have recorded for us, this true story. Unlike the story of the Karate Kid, which is a, a fun Hollywood movie, this is a real story that really happened. And Father, we do pray, Lord, that as your people who have been delivered by the blood of the Lamb, that we too would go and remember the call on our life, that even through our suffering, even through our rejection, that we would point people to the bread of heaven, that they too might come to know Jesus, and then someday bow the knee willingly 
instead of having to be forced to. We pray it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Amen.